Introducing Caribbean Radio Show, the chat reel with Billy and Friends. And now, here is your host, Billy Tappin. Good evening, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you may be. Uh, you're listening to the chat reel with Billy and Friends on the Knowledge Station. And tonight we have a great guest, uh, a real good person, a good friend, and uh, his name, and also he's added to the uh, jazz station, which would be Tim uh, Chatreel, Jazz Chatreel, excuse me. But he is here with us tonight, and we're going to be discussing his careers uh, as we go on tonight. So I want to introduce you first to uh, our friend Tim Cunningham and welcome you aboard to the station as one of the hosts. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now I want to introduce the uh, the uh, cast of people we have here tonight. Um, we have uh, T.J. Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, and hello to my dear friend, Mr. Tim Cunningham, jazz man extraordinaire. <laughs> All right. Hey, All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have uh, Julie Savoboda. Julie, you there? Oh, she's not in yet. Next we have uh, Denise Gutatis. Hi, everybody. Hi, glad to be Uh, here. And Tim, welcome. Welcome to the team, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, and we're glad to really have you here, uh, Denise in terms of what you do, in terms of everything. So we welcome you and thank you for everything. Uh, and now oh, let's get you. into the situation. Uh, Tim, you know, we had discussed some things uh, last week, and before we really get into the music aspect of it, um, we want to talk a little bit about your football career, uh, which I was well aware of. But you told me some things that I didn't really know. So we know that your love was for football initially. And then it went to music. So you want to kind of give the audience a feel of, of how you got to where you're at? Uh, so growing up in Lansing, Michigan, you know, sports was a fairly big deal in our community. Um, started playing football in the fourth grade, um, playing flag football, and actually quit after the fourth game because tackling was illegal. And it just got <laughs> – it was, you know, playing flag football was just, you know, I was running up grabbing the flag and I was hitting guys and they were falling to the, to the, to the turf and that was a penalty. 
so you couldn't make too much contact. But anyway, so I quit that, and I I went on in the seventh grade. I got with the um, the Blackhawks, um, which was on a coach. I was coached by John Lewis, who was also a Michigan State football player back in the 1950s. And um, so I played football seventh, eighth grade with with the Blackhawks little league football team, and then in ninth grade I played in at Walter French Junior High School with another Michigan State guy was uh, um, who played ball back in the early 70s. He was our coach. Um, uh, one of the coaches, I'm sorry, Chris King was one of the guys, and John, I'm forgetting his last name. But anyway, um, played football in ninth grade, and then from there uh, in, in, in Michigan and Lansing, we had seven, eight, ninth, Ninth grade was junior high. High school was 10, 11, and 12. So went to Everett High School in the 10th grade. Did not want to play football at all. I was kind of done with it. And uh, uh, wanted to play basketball because that's what everybody was doing. Magic was, you know, at, from Everett High School. And uh, everybody wanted to be a basketball player. So a buddy of mine from Gardner Junior High School asked me to come out for the football team because they didn't have very many players. So I was a JV quarterback, and uh, after one game, they asked me to come to varsity to play safety on defense because I was playing quarterback and safety on the JV team. So after one game, I came up to to varsity to play uh, safety, and we were playing Jackson Parkside, and we, we were down 25 nothing at halftime. A couple of running backs went down, Bruce Fields and Milton Jones, and uh, they put me in uh, as, as a running back. And I'm, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that, but um, they put me in and scored three touchdowns, and the rest is kind of history. I started getting college offers, and, and uh, Michigan State was the, the place that I ended up. I got recruited by Tyron Willingham, who was at Central Michigan when he started recruiting me, but he – Got the job at Michigan State right in the middle of my recruiting process, and uh, I followed him to Michigan State. So, uh, and actually became a starter as a freshman at Michigan State, which was which was something that kind of blew my mind because here we are sitting with 120 guys and you know on the team with 99 scholarship players and another 20, 25 um, guys who were walk-ons. So I actually got a chance to start as a freshman last four ga- four and a half games, and then I started every game my sophomore, junior, senior year. And um, after that, I got an offer. Did not get drafted, but I did. I was honorable mention all all Big Ten my sophomore and senior year. Got an offer to play for the Cowboys just as a free agent. They offered me a thousand dollars signing bonus and a, a three year scholar three-year um, contract for forty, fifty, and $60,000, and I turned it down because I wanted to finish up college. I know a lot of guys would jump at that right now, but, you know, to play in the NFL. But, you know, my main focus was to get my education first, and if I got a chance to play football after that, then so be it. So I might have went back to school, finished up on my fifth year of the, of the scholarship. I uh, had a chance with a couple other teams to try out. Didn't make it, and then I played four games of of semi-pro professional football with the Oakland County Raiders, 
and they folded after four games, and that was the rest. That was the end of my career, and then the main focus became the music. I should say, well, in between all that, <laughs> I should say in between all that, in seventh grade is when I started playing the saxophone. We'll transition into the music, but I was playing music all along during that time as well. So That is absolutely amazing. You know, what I got out of it is like, you know, here's an opportunity because I played baseball back in the day, and uh, I got mm-hmm. injured um, at 17. I think it was 17 in a car accident. And that wow. was my dream, was to play baseball. And I was pretty good at it. But um, when I heard the story of you and, you know, having two different skills, as well as myself, you know, I thought it was an amazing story because we had, like I said, we never talked about this part of uh, the situation when we, when we were together musically and working together. So to me, it was right. something that I'm hearing from the person itself, you know. Right. So um, yeah, because yeah, a, I, a, I a lot of people that, don't know that part. Yeah, they have no idea that part of the story because I, I started playing drums in sixth grade. In seventh grade, I switched to saxophone. Mr. Island was at my junior high school. He came over to my high school. Fortunately, we had a jazz band, which a lot of schools don't have, and I was able to, you know, continue my, you know, playing my music there. But I, you know, I took the instrument home every day. I practiced all the time. It was something that I really loved. I loved it more than the sports. I really did. Oh, wow. But, you know, the sports was a way to get me through college. So... Gotcha. That you know, my but so see, my plan was to go to LCC. I actually had a two-year scholarship at LCC to play basketball, but the football was you know to play in the Big Ten was opportunity for anybody to play in the Power Five schools. Like you know, what you going you going to select play football at Michigan State? You going to go play ba- go play basketball at LCC? And it was just you know for me it was a no-brainer because uh, I didn't want to go to Michigan State anyway, because my plan was to go to LCC, switch to Michigan State, get my degree, and then go to work. That was it. But mm-hmm. you know, God's plan was for me to go to school for free. <laughs> so right. going to school for free for, at Michigan State. And, you yeah, know, that's getting, good. You know, getting, getting my education. And, you know, and I, had a, you know, I had about 30 college offers, a lot of small schools, but – Big Ten schools, Michigan, you know, they didn't offer me a scholarship, but they did bring me down to Michigan to uh, a game. I went down to a game. i never forget it. it was a Michigan-Notre Dame game my senior year. And um, they invited all the recruits down, and Michigan lost the game. So Bo Schembechler said he was supposed to meet up with the recruits after the game. He said because they lost the game, you know, Bo didn't want to meet with any of the recruits. So <laughs> I thought oh, wow. that was just – I just thought that was so unprofessional. So I yeah. just threw Michigan yeah, off my board altogether. I just, not that I really wanted to go there anyway, but I just thought it was, that was just so unprofessional. And I got recruited yeah. by Wisconsin, Northwestern. Northwestern for academics, actually, because I had a 3.1 uh, grade point average, and you had, to be, you had to be on your books to, be a, to go to Northwestern. So, uh, but uh, ended up at Michigan State, and I was very, very, very pleased, very happy. Met my wife there, and it's been a it's a great story. I see, I see. And, wow, and I'm, I'm awesome. really, You know, I wish I would. I wish I had took and and uh, heard this story back then, but it was just meant for this time. So I I think um, you know, when you look over your life and the decisions are are made is is the way it's supposed to be. Um, we mm-hmm. are sent here 
to do different things in this world. And some people know their gifts. You know, like me and you, we know our gifts. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't. And that's the hard part of them trying to find out where they really fit in at. And uh, right. we were just blessed to be able to learn or know what we want to do. Because, you mm-hmm. know, music has always been a thing for me, you know, in baseball. You know, because I, I was okay, mediocre in, in basketball. Um, and I, I was okay in football. Um, but, you know, the thing with it is with football, it was a little bit more because I was so small. You know, I was like probably 120 pounds, you know, in middle school. So you know, right. it was hard for me to be able to uh, handle a lot of the hits. So I figured mm-hmm. out right away that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you get hit a couple of times. And let me ask you this. Have you ever had your bell rung out there? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I played. No, I played both of them. Yeah, I, I used to. I, I did. I did more ringing than. The... <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> what a question! I had to slide it into him. I had to slide it in. I kind of run. I kind of my own bell, but I run the other guy's bell a lot harder. Um, I, I remember playing high school football. Actually, actually against Eastern High School. Mm-hmm. And we were oh, at wow. Everett, and they had this big guy named Dave Shumpert. And I oh, lit Dave. his butt up. Oh, <laughs> and, but, man, I saw, I saw stars myself, and uh, he had to walk <laughs> off the field. He was, he was, he was almost. But, um, oh, man. Yeah, no, no playing football, because you know, I played – I played, you know, in junior, I mean, in seventh, eighth grade, I was playing linebacker. I played offensive line. I played safety. I mean, I played in positions where you, you're you going to get your bell rung if, you, if you're not careful. So, yeah, college right. a couple of times oh, wow. I, got, I got hit. But, uh, but no, I, um, it, it was, and I was a very, and see, that's one of the other things, like, like I, we were talking about the other day. Um, I'm so glad that I didn't play in the NFL because I, you know, of the multiple uh, head injuries these guys have suffered, and so many guys, people are very unaware of the number of guys who are suffering or have suffered from CTE, and that I remember has actually yeah. committed suicide. It's yeah. unbelievable. Oh yeah, the numbers are crazy. Right. So I remember yeah. last time we had that conversation. Yeah, remember Tim, we had that yeah. conversation last summer. Yeah. yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think God yeah, protected me from that. Going, and you were like, man, with all the the head trauma and all that going. He said, oh, and you no. remember you told me they've known about it for years. Yeah. They have known about it. Yeah, they have known about it for a long time. And the multiple uh, concussions is what 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 you know caused the CTE. And you know, Tony Dorsett right now is suffering from it. Um, wow. And there's wow. many, many guys, guys you don't even, I mean, several guys that you don't even realize the numbers are staggering. Yep. So oh. I am so glad to be away from that situation. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, it, it reminds me, it reminds me like an adult version of shaken child syndrome. You know, when you, Absolutely. when people, they have yeah. a baby, yeah. they shake the baby. In the brain, you know, yep. people don't realize the skull is like a eggshell. Yep. Yeah. It shakes around, you know, unlike a woodpecker, like that, like the doctor 
uh, you made the comparison, like a woodpecker's brain is stable inside of its head and does not move, whereas our brain shakes around and right. eventually causes CTE yeah. and causes dementia. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and see, exactly. that is the thing. I don't know if that problem can ever be resolved. I mean, you have to have plenty of cushion in that helmet um, to actually try to even attempt to fix the problem. You know? Yeah, that's why. They, yeah, yeah, that's why they're taking the head off of the game. They're yeah. developing so, better, better equipment as time goes on, but still, you know, you the faster, stronger they are. You know, I play football, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, it, 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 it's a it, when you hit like Tim, we laughed about it earlier, but. When you hit somebody, that's a collision. Uh, people say football is a contact sport. Tim, you probably agree with me on this. It's not a contact. It's a collision sport. It's oh, like yeah, absolutely. Every play, every tackle is like a car accident, a major car accident. And these are human bodies doing this. So you have to think about the velocity and the trajectory and all that and how much force times velocity. You know, mass, yeah. mass times velocity. Mass times velocity. Yeah, yeah. And the guys are only getting bigger and faster. It just makes it even worse. Yeah. I mean, you've got guys yeah, who running under yeah. five seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. You can imagine somebody hitting you that big and is that fast. That's why they have cut, yeah. you know, like when you, if you, when you watch the XFL today, you see that they don't even, the kickoff, their guys are five yards away from each other because they don't want yeah. that heavy collision. Yeah. They, they yeah. know. They, they know. It's, it's, I'm telling you, going down to kick off, you can get killed. No, no, absolutely not. I'm telling yeah. you, millions of dollars. It is not worth it. Yeah, yeah, you have. I mean, remember when the remember when they used to like remember when they used to like play flag football? That was safer. Oh yeah, I played flag football. Yeah, they had the league, and the leagues were structured different through parks and rec. I mean, there was one year where I was able to play. I played flag football the first year. Next year, they changed the weight requirements because I would, Tim would tell you this. I was always a big kid. So right. the second mm-hmm. year, they, they upped the weight requirements. So I was able to play tackle, play for the Blackhawks. Mr. Al McFadden was my coach. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, then, then two years later, I had to play flag football again because they dropped the weight requirement. They dropped it down. So I was too heavy to play. <laughs> I mean, I went right. through that. Uh, and, and that, was, that was in elementary school. So that's how young we started. So, you know, and I was a defensive lineman, so I was supposed to be the second coming of Mean Joe Green. <laughs> hey, and now, now we call him Slim, Tim. We call him Slim. Yeah. We all saw that weight, man. You know? Uh, no, man. I was about to ask TJ, did he play some football? Because he looked pretty big on that picture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yep. yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I was, uh, well. My brother played yeah, semi-pro. Played, yeah, so did I. I played about 12 years of semi-pro ball. But, I, I, you know, I to me, I know the dangers of it. And I always say, I tell people the greatest sport in the world they ever invented, to me, for me, myself, just me, is American football. There's just something about football. I mean, I started playing at five years old. So, to me, it's something about football that I just, it's in my DNA. But, I mean, I understand mm-hmm. the dangers of it, though. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it. But I, I would do that for me. I'm not advocating for anybody else. I'm just advocating for me. But, you know, to right. get back to Tim, um, I remember when you your dad's gas station, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off the subject a little bit, but your dad's gas station was across the street from my grandmother's beauty shop. And you used to right. lay your sacks out there 
uh, I used to see you, remember, because I couldn't cross the street because I wasn't old enough in the beginning, me and my right. brothers. Mm-hmm. But we used to see mm-hmm. you play your saxophone, and I yelled across the street. I said, what is that? You said, it's a saxophone. You ain't never seen a sax before? And then you kept playing. <laughs> and you were playing. I, whatever song you were playing was right on. But, I mean, man, you know, this is back, way back when. But I was like, man. So eventually, to make a long story short, I ended up playing in junior high band, playing sax, because uh, I saw Tim Cunningham, who sparked my interest in playing saxophone. I can't play it now. Oh, wow. I can't play it. Yeah. Tim, well, Tim and my this, oldest brother time, and my cousin Eric, they all were really tight. Tim, Troy, Eric, my oldest cousin Eric Jones, Tim Cunningham, Troy Jackson. Then you guys remember Tim? You guys <laughs> had it going on. The, oh yeah. Oh all right. Yeah, Eric and I are still right. best friends. Good, I hear Billy. Uh oh. Yes. At this time, we're going to go for a commercial break, um, and we'll be back uh, with Tim Cunningham. We were talking about his uh, football history, and we're going to start talking to him about what he's doing now with his planes, the sax. This is an amazing guy, and we'll be right back. Hang in there. You're listening to CRS Radio, the knowledge station. This week's guest, Tim Cunningham. Sax man, singer, songwriter, producer, former football player. Coming up, more music from Tim. Freedom, enough said, and I just want to be with you. Keep it tuned right here on the chat reel with Billy and Friends. Shalom, everyone. This is the host of the Black Jewish Queen Live Chat, Dr. Denise Gopadis. I am here to share with you and to announce on-demand best-selling book, Written by the owner, creator, and the writer of The Matrix and the Terminator, Oscar Award-winning Sophia Stewart. If you love her movie, you will love her book. And here is a list of those books that are now available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. The first book is The Third Eye. The second book is The Mother of the Matrix. The third book is Matrix Trivia. And her latest book, which is the fourth book, is The Evolution of Conscience, Cracking the Genetic Code. This is the Matrix 4 book. These books are on demand. Order your copy today. They are now available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon Booksellers.
Introducing Caribbean Radio Show, the chat reel with Billy and Friends. And now, here is your host, Billy Tappin. And we're back at the chat reel with CRS Radio, the knowledge station. And for those of you are in our audience that are listening, um, we are talking with uh, t- uh, Tim Cunningham. And we're, he is a jazz musician as well as an ex-football player. He played for Michigan State. Um, and we were actually diving into that a little bit. Uh, but now, at this point in time, we're going to go in. We're going to start talking about the music aspect. And uh, we all know that uh, everybody has a starting point, and Tim had two starting points. So this, the second part of his story is going to be about his music career. So, Tim, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Let's get started on the uh, the music career part. Um, and we all know that um, that was your love for the audience that's out there knows that was one of your main loves. And now your permanent love, because you've been married to the sax for about, what, 40 years? Mm, almost 50. <laughs> almost 50 years. Yeah, not telling our age, but almost 50. That's a long time. That's a long time for the vows right there, man. You know what I'm saying? That's right. So, definitely, definitely in love, you know, definitely in love. But um, let's go into it, because um, we know that um, your career started at um, – a younger age, um, you're doing a few shows here and there. So let's let's go into that. Let's tell the audience um, where you started doing it on a professional level. Okay. Um, so the interest be- be started with my brother playing drums uh, at Sexton High School. So I played drums sixth grade, moved over to Saxon seventh grade, and as I mentioned before. Um, was able to play in a jazz band in high school. So after college, after the football situation uh, didn't pan out, um, then I was off to the music. But all along I had been, you know, music was was really way more important to me than the football ever was and the sports ever was. Um, I was a music major a couple years in, in college, but I switched to telecommunications. So after the football situation with the Cowboys, um, and then after semi-pro ball, I started focusing more on the music and actually started practicing uh, and decided I wanted to become an artist. So I went into the studio, did a couple of tracks, started sending it out to some labels, wasn't getting any responses at all, not even a, hey, no thanks letter. So finally started doing what everybody else was doing was, you know, coming up with enough money to record my own CD and start selling it and then trying to make money to further my career by, you know, continuing to market and trying to get a record deal. So eventually it got to Atlantic Records um, and they sent me a letter back and said that, you know, it wasn't, this is probably around like 89, 90, 91, somewhere around there. Said it wasn't mm-hmm. just it just wasn't for them at the time, and ironically, uh, two years later, a woman saw me in in um, Chicago and said she was working with some of the highest, some of the biggest uh, black females in the music industry, and one of one of them happened to be Sylvia Rome, and Sylvia was the president of Atlantic Records at the time. So I had moved to Chicago in '91. 
playing some clubs. She saw me. She was with Sylvia a couple times. She said, I can get the CD to Sylvia. Gave it to her. We went out to New York to do a showcase for her. She didn't show up. <laughs> and wow. then, uh, she said, hey, can you guys come back? Uh, so we spent, I mean, I probably spent 12 grand uh, going back and forth to New York twice. So we went back out there, set up the showcase, and she didn't show up again. <clears throat> Believe wow. it or not. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, she called and said, we're going to give you guys the deal, um, or give you the deal, I should say. It was just me. It was about me. And uh, so I got the deal in 94 and started getting my budget together from the label, and they assigned you as Kathy to be my um, executive producer. And he wanted Brian Culbertson, who was very young at the time. Brian was probably maybe 23 at best at that time. He wanted Brian to produce a couple of tracks. I'm like, cool. So he did two tracks. Bobby Lau did a track for me. Um, Sonny Emery did a track for me. Sonny is played drums for Earth, Wind, and Fire for a long time. He played, played with several other artists. Um, and then Darren Stewart, my keyboard player, who was from Detroit, um, he did the rest of the album. We did him and I did six tracks together. And I was in between here and moving to, uh, between Chicago and moving to St. Louis. So I actually recorded some stuff in uh, here in St. Louis. We recorded in L.A. We recorded down, went down to Atlanta. Recorded in Detroit, and this all this money had to come out of my budget. So um, Will Downing uh, helped us out on some background vocals when we went down to Atlanta, and then uh, Kevin Whalem, who was Kirk Whalem's younger brother, did some background vocals um, on a on a couple of songs. He did a lead vocal and he did background vocals on a couple of songs. So the album came out in 96. Uh, Sylvia left the label. Uh, They brought in a new president who um, didn't want to do anything with promoting the album. I'm just glad that it actually made, got to the market, got got out onto the market. It did make one of the tunes that Brian Culberson produced, which was called um, This Is The Life, made it to number 19 on the uh, Smooth Jazz chart. And then shortly after that, about a year later, um, Atlantic announced that they were no longer doing jazz completely. So um, Bobby Lyle was the guy who helped me get onto the label. He was an Atlantic Records artist himself, piano player, just phenomenal piano player. Him, myself, Gerald Albright, um, several... I mean, all the artists went out the door. They didn't, they, and the, the, ironically, they started the label on jazz. Jazz and blues is what they started the label with, and they sh- completely shut it down back in the late 90s. And then following that, most of your smooth jazz stations started going out the window. Um, CD 101 in New York, um, smooth jazz station in Chicago, WNUA, all of the major stations went down. And now we're down to about... 16 reporting jazz stations, smooth jazz stations across the country. So it's still going, but there's a lot of grassroots and labels that have popped up. And as you know now, by now, you got a better opportunity by owning your own masters and putting out your own music versus being with a label and letting them own your music. I know several artists who have 
pretty much left their labels because labels right now are only on free, you know, the, the little small deals where they'll just, they'll play for marketing promotions, but they own your music. So, um, so that's pretty much after I left, after Atlantic Records dropped everybody, I started producing my own stuff. And, um, but just before that, one of the biggest things that happened, even before the Atlantic Records um, deal, in 94, I was, I was also living in Chicago. I was seen by Coors Brewing Company, who at that time was sponsoring the Cincinnati Jazz Festival, Washington State Music Festival, because those, it was no longer jazz per se. It was, it was a music festival. So they saw me at this conference, and they were very impressed and said, hey, we want to put you on a bunch of stuff. And they said, hey, we, we promote the um, Cincinnati Music Festival. So I was on that show for five years in a row, opening for some wow. of the biggest acts in yes. the country, yes. in the world. That, to me, was even bigger than the Atlanta Records deal. Because oh, yeah. I'm sitting here opening for for Frankie Beverly and Mays. Um, oh my gosh! I mean, uh, Whitney Houston. Um, oh my God, Luther Vandross. It was it was. I mean, it was two nights. It, well, it used to be three days. It was two nights of R&B and Sunday was jazz, but they cut it down to two night two nights. So I was on the Saturday night show, and there were forty thousand plus in the stadium. So oh, wow. that was huge. That was so huge. And eventually, um, <laughs> this was really funny. I mean, my name was in the program, but eventually it got to even the, um, because I was just the opening act. Nobody puts the opening act's name on anything. But I was there so many years in a row, five years in a row, that the guys outside selling me illegal T-shirts had my name in my face <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God! So, <laughs> so from that, I got a lot of you know notoriety, and people were like, hey, you know, we know this. And I, this was before the Atlantic deal, before the deal even I even got it. So, um, mm-hmm. but then I started. Coors kept me on with doing some shows across the country. We were doing a lot of 100 Black Men shows. Um, like in Atlanta, Florida, California, we toured a couple of days with with the uh, um, the um, Negro League Baseball. We did the grand opening of the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. We went out to L.A. and did an event out there with them. Buck O'Neill was still still alive at that time. There was about twelve players that were still around. So, and I got a chance to meet Jeffrey Osborne because we did a couple of shows together. And I just recently saw him last year uh, down in Memphis. He got a chance to go backstage and, and holler at him. Uh, if you ever get a chance, look at his um, Tank does a, a show on YouTube with various artists about their careers, and it's phenomenal. Jeffy, the Jeffrey Osborne story is really great. Um, so, okay. Uh, okay. like I said, that that to me, I got, I'll, I'll say it again, was I mean, it was so big because we were treated almost like the big name acts. They had us in the limousines going around to the backstage. We're talking two stages outside. There were, you know, because they they wanted to be able to not have to strike the stage 
and wait a half hour, 45 minutes for the next act to go on. So they had two stages set up. So as soon as okay. the one act finished up, boom, they were on to the next stage. We would come out around 6 o'clock, 6.30, and then it was, you know, that show lasted probably till 11, 12 o'clock at night. And, and oh, man, that was – and we got a chance to stand on the stage. We were, you know, because we had backstage passes. So it was, it was incredible. We, it was that was one of the the highlights of my career as far as I'm concerned. I, I mean, getting the record deal was was awesome, of of course, because you know my name got a chance to go around the world. With because I still selling my own product, I still get a chance to uh, I still see people buying my stuff from Europe and Japan and South America and stuff like that. But this that situation with the with this with the jazz press was just um, unbelievable. Well, oh, I'll tell you great. this. This is why this is why we started this this network because we wanted to be an independent station dealing with artists on all aspects of of, of the arts, and this is the mm-hmm. main reason why. This is a vision that you know I've seen, and we have a, a a great crew that is totally behind us. The owner, everybody's behind us, and the things that you do, and I tell these artists all the time, you know, you you can do your own thing. The problem in the past has been it was hard to get airplay. And when I released mine, it was hard to get airplay, but it happened. Um, But now it's more easier when you have stations like this. And I think we're pretty much one of a kind that has something Mm -hmm. going on for independence all the time. So, you know, for you to have that uh, um, situation happening, man, that is a total blessing. And I got a question for you. When you hit Mm -hmm. that stage with 40,000 people, man, were you nervous? a lot of people you know what <laughs> and that question is, that, that question has come up several times um in interviews i'm gonna tell you the it's not as nerve-wracking as being in front of a smaller audience that is closer to you it's all about the distance they have right. of course a, a fence you know a security fence there's you know security guards out there i mean and it's you're away from people if they were yeah. right up on me, like at the stage, different story. Yeah, there's some nerves, but no, I had there was no nerves there at all. The the thing that really blew me away is the the amount of watts they had outside. They had forty thousand watts of power outside. Yeah. You had speak. You had monitors in front of you. You had these huge side fills on the side of you. I mean, my saxophone was so loud. It was incredible to play with that much power. It felt, I think that alone gives you, that kind of knocks the nerves, takes the nerves away. Because you just, you just felt so powerful with all that sound. It was, it was incredible. And I walked out into the crowd and I had a, and a guy that, that, um, from the Cincinnati Inquirer, he wrote a really nice piece about me a couple years in a row. Um, I can't remember his name, but he said something about Tim Cunningham gave a 35 minute show that that posed the question: Why is someone of uh, this talent, you know, not as not as uh, not as big as Kenny G or something like that? To, to something to that effect. But that's that's how he felt about the show, and that's that was and that was just oh, wow! I was like blown away. I was like, really? <laughs> so. But yeah, no, the nerves weren't weren't there in front of the the big audiences outside. It's it's way, and I'm 
I love indoor stuff. I like playing in intimate settings because people can oh, really yeah. get close. But that's but again, that's where the nerves come in because people are just like riding your face. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know um, what? You know the. You know what though? I, did. I would think that outside, the spotlights in your face will blind you. Yeah, the spotlight was, it was blinding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It depends yeah. on where the spotlight was coming from. Sometimes they had the spotlight at an angle, so it wasn't so bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting back there and you got that light on, it can be kind of irritating to some degree. Because oh, yeah. really, it can work in both ways. Either it can work where it's good you're not seeing a lot of people, especially going out. Because I know when I go out on stage, um, I always had a uh, few minutes jitter, you know, until I, I hit mm-hmm. the first verse, and then I'm fine after that. But um, mm-hmm. when you got a crowd that large, and I haven't performed in that big of a crowd at all, that's that's a lot of people. But I get where you're coming from on that because you're really they're like ants in the audience, you know what I'm saying? So yep. it's like you just mm-hmm. do your thing. But um, you know, mm-hmm. I am so impressed because mm-hmm. I look at all the sax players throughout the years um, that I've heard. And uh, I think I was very right at the beginning um, when we were working together that you were one of the hottest sax players that I had heard. Um, and it just kind of – when I first heard you, I think I heard you um, down at Gregory's. It's the first mm-hmm. time I heard you. I was with Bobby and Kevin. They said, you got to check this guy out, man, Tim Cunningham. I'm like, okay. We go down there. I'm like, man, why is this guy – why is he even in here? You know what I'm saying? It's like he should be doing something big. You know what I'm saying? What are you doing up in here? <laughs> hey, Tim, I got some pictures of you, man. I got to send you um, that that uh, we did that show in Albion. And uh, I remember oh, that yeah. when, you first, you know, when you first did stage, man, you you're turned to the, to the audience at that time. Mm-hmm. I think this was right. probably, this is like around 87, man. 87, yes. 88, um, and we did mm-hmm. the Elbian show with, with Ray Potter. You know, right. that was one of the shows. We oh, had, I remember I that show. Did. We promoted that show on the radio. I remember that. Yeah. Michael Ray. Yeah. Michael Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we did another one, Tim. I can't remember where, but we did another show. I asked myself the question. I said, you know, I was telling Bobby, and I said, why is, why is he even here? You know what I'm saying? You know, my story was a little different. <laughs> You know, because I left Grand Rapids uh, counting on going to California and got caught mm-hmm. up in a relationship. And that's what messed me up, because I wasn't planning on staying here. But uh, that's an amazing, amazing story. So at this point in time, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. We're going to have the lines open for people that want to ask questions. And uh, um, this is just an amazing guy here, and his music is amazing. So Let's go to a commercial break, break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to CSR Radio, the knowledge station. As this week's guest, the incomparable sax man, writer, songwriter, producer extraordinaire, Mr. Tim Cunningham. Keep it tuned right here. We're coming up with more of Tim's wonderful music. We just want to be with you, just grooving and Rob's grooving. Right here on CRS Radio, the knowledge station, the chat reel with Billy and Prince. 
From author Dr. Denise Gotadis comes a self-help guide that will give you valuable information about the world around you in ways never imagined. The Metaphysical God in Relation to His Creation. Available on Amazon. In this must-read book, you will learn about your importance in the world and the metaphysical universe around you. You will be introduced to the Metaphysical God who has a relationship with you and those around you. Whether you are aware of this or not, you come into contact with Him daily. He is omnipresent metaphysically. He is in and outside of His creation. And what does a metaphysical God have to do with you and the creation around you? You are a very big piece of a huge puzzle. The Metaphysical God in Relation to His Creator from author Dr. Denise Gotadis is available on Amazon. Order your copy right now.
Introducing Caribbean Radio Show, the chat reel with Billy and Friends. And now, here is your host, Billy Tappin. And we are back. And in studio is Billy and TJ and Timothy Cunningham. Tim, you there? I am here. All right. And TJ, you're there too, right? Yes, I am here. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. We're, we're back with Tim Cunningham and Julie. Julie, you're there? Yep, I think. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. You. yes. Welcome, Julie. <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> hey, Tim, I was going to make a comment to you that. Way back in the um, 80s, I had some cousins, um, my first cousin, uh, Chuck Cross and, and um, Scott Smith. And I went to a Michigan State to go with and I said, hey, that guy's going to be somebody someday. He's going to be a football player. He's going to be a sax player. Well, then fast forward 35 years. Um, in the fall, my cousin Scott said, hey, you want to go to a concert with me? And I said, gee, I didn't think much about it. We said, I'm up to me. I said, we're going to see Tim today. Um, remember I told you, 35 years ago, he used to be somebody. Now you're going to see him in concert for the first time. So I get to see you in concert. I think it, a couple of venue or something at, at like Lansing Mall at Michigan State, or, at, um, you know, in Lansing, Michigan. And you put on a great mm-hmm. show. Just, I'm totally impressed. I totally was. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right. I am so sorry. I had the uh, had it on pause, man, but I'm back, and yeah. I'm open up the line for all the callers uh, to call in. And Tim, before we go into the call-ins and stuff like that, let people know how they can get your material. Uh, the website is simply timcunningham.com. Um, there is a link right at the top of the on the first page of the website, um, and, and there's a site. Called here now. It's it's and the link is basically timcunningham dot dot com. But it's on the uh, on the website right up, up right up on the first page, or you can click on the copy of the CD cover, um, and you can download uh, the tracks, or you can actually get a physical hard copy of the CD if those you know if those people if there's people out there that are still still using CDs, um, you can get those from Amazon. <laughs> So uh, yeah, timcunningham.com. Uh, I know some people still have uh, people at my age still have CD players in the car. So, but um, we, we pressed up we pressed up some CDs just in case, and I still have people buying them. It's, it's amazing to me. <laughs> CDs right now are like cassettes almost. <laughs> so what what are we doing now? I mean, because like I said, I haven't been in the studio in probably a couple years. But what are they mm-hmm. using now? They're just going through the just the platforms. Yeah, I mean, people just download music on their phones, you know, downloading yeah. stuff on their phones. They're going to the various platforms. I mean, you can get my CD, um, my, my my music at Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Pandora, Deezer, all of those. And there's, I mean, there's probably 30 more other um, download sites okay. where you can get, get the music. But that's what people are doing these days. And... Um, yeah. I also discovered that they're now the the CD manufacturers are actually doing a uh, a little zip drive for people who have oh, the dude. you know USB plug in their car. So yeah, you can, oh, you can order those now too. That's hot. That's wow. hot. 
Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's kind of amazing as we're talking. Um, one of my cousins had chimed in and I had mentioned Ray Potter, um, and he's down in uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. Georgia. And he said that uh, the the guy he's with, that's uh, his, his, his uncle's married to uh, think Ray Potter's aunt or something. So I thought that to be really wild, you know, to get a call like that. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, I just want to give love to, to our brothers, our fallen ones, uh, which would be Ray Stingray Potter and uh, Kevin Wilson. And uh, who else? I think that's uh, Bobby, Bobby that I can think of. Yeah, Bobby Adams. Who was yeah, that? Bobby Adams. Yep. Bobby Adams. Yes, Bobby Adams. And uh, miss those guys uh, seriously because they were really, uh, really, they were really good friends. So, um, if we got any callers out there, uh, let's go ahead and open the lines up. Other than that, we can get back to Tim on uh, the rest of the story, and because there's a lot to come because. This guy's oh, yes. been around for quite some time. And I'm glad to say that I'm a good friend to him, you know. Um, I, I believe that. <laughs> and this is, this is the sound, um, listeners, listeners, this is the sound when you come. Um, make sure you raise your hand when you want to ask Tim Cunningham and Billy a question. The call-in number is 661 467 2407. That's 661-467-2407. When you raise your hand, I will hit that doorbell. All right, Press one. Hey. All right. And also, <laughs> people out there, you want to listen to uh, Tim's show, the uh, chat show, uh, Jazz Chat. And, Tim, that's that's Thursday. Am I right? Thursday at Wednesday. 6? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. I don't know why I keep on thinking Thursday. Okay. Wednesday, Wednesday eight, eight to eight to ten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Wednesday eight to ten. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should say nine to eleven. That's Eastern time. Central Central time where I'm at Missouri is eight to ten, and then West Coast is six to six to eight. Okay. So yeah, Beautiful. nine to eleven. Now, nine. Uh, yes. I've listened to a show. So that's He's Tuesday, got a, uh, Tuesday nine to eleven, Tim. Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday. All right, all right. Yeah, mm-hmm. nine to eleven. He's got an amazing show. Uh, I, I listened to it uh, last week, and uh, it's just really nice. Um, I, I go back with jazz a long ways back. So I mean, you're talking. About, we talked about that the other night, Tim. We talked about Donald Byrd and, and all of them. Oh older, yeah, older sure. Jazz players, you know, Ronnie Laws. Yep. Um, yeah, all those guys Hubert, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and you gotta understand the the different styles of jazz. I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of different styles of jazz, you know. And I I grew up, you know, we you know in in junior high school we playing big band stuff, you know, was right, all right. you know that was considered the big the jazz that we were playing. Exactly. Yep, Glenn Miller, all that stuff. That's what we were playing, and even into high school. We never, and then, you know, it, it kind of got into, um, yeah, we did some bassy stuff, but it kind of got into, you know, the, we, we played some, 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 even some rock stuff, you know, so, you know, we played Beethoven's Fifth, you always heard 25, 6 to 4, you know, all those kind of songs, those kind of stuff that, that yeah. popped up in our, um, but, you know, the jazz 
you know, Charlie Parker was, you know, a straight ahead bebop player. You know, mm-hmm. and I studied I studied a little bit of that, not not extensively. I learned a little bit about bebop just because I wanted to understand the full, you know, everything about it. And when you watched, if you ever watched the um, uh, Ken Burns' uh, version of jazz, I mean, it was, you know, several episodes of that show, um, of that documentary, or about when it started and how it evolved. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing where it started and where it has gone, you know, and pretty much the last, I don't see it going really anywhere else. I mean, you see a little bit of it in hip hop, not not tons of it, that it's you know. But the, I think the most popular, uh, obviously, has been with you know the the contemporary jazz with David Sanborn, Grover Washington, you know Kenny G, and Kenny was more of a pop jazz artist because his stuff was played mm-hmm. on pop radio, Bob and, and it works. Yeah, yeah, it, and, that and situation you know worked what? for him. Yeah, and I'm you know sorry? what? I noticed as we go through the, the jazz, and I talk about Donald Byrd because of his transition from right. uh, uh, bebop-type style um, to mm-hmm. where he went into like a uh, like a R&B-type music um, that right. he was able chasing to the crowd, chasing, chasing, chasing sales. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. That's... Because people stopped listening to straight ahead stuff years ago. I mean, in mass quantities, yeah. I should say. They stopped listening to straight ahead because David Sanborn and Grover Washington, they came along playing saxophone with R&B music in the background. I mean, you're talking yeah. it's all about, it's literally about the change of the drum beat. You go from a swing yeah. to a back to a 2-4 to a backbeat, and now you have a contemporary jazz song. And we're doing. I mean, Mr. Magic was played on every R&B radio station in the country. Yeah, I mean, every station, everybody knows that song. Absolutely, everybody knows that song. And that yeah. was that was where Grover. That was where he got his most notoriety, and then of course he won the Grammy with uh, the Just the Two of Us record, or the Winelight album, yeah, which, right. which the song Just the Two of right. Us with Bill Withers singing that song. That was a million-selling yeah. uh, record because some of that stuff, the uh, that single, Just the Two of Us, hit some of the pop radio stations. So we went over and it, it grabbed an, another audience, you know, black people, white people, everybody was listening to that to that record. So and, Yeah. And Kenny, when Kenny G stuff came out, you know, um, uh, Arista Records picked him up, and they just, man, it was what a phenomenal idea to make some just really soft, smooth stuff with instrumental stuff that people could listen to, and the women just went crazy for Kenny G, absolutely nuts. And he is the highest selling, all, all time highest selling instrumentalist. He sold over fifty or sixty million records. So you know who was uh, one of his producers was on his first album, don't you? Who was that? Kashif. Kashif. Yeah, yeah, Kashif. Kashif. Yeah, but see, that was even. But that was even the, that album. Right. That was and see that was when he was doing more R and B type stuff like Grover was doing. 
But then mm-hmm. he went over mm-hmm. to Arista, and they they had him produce the uh, because uh, Whitney was over there as well, Whitney Houston, and they had him do that pop album, and they sent it out to the oh man, that was I remember when Kenny was, and this is like. 25, 30 years ago, he was getting 80,000 plus like 85% of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, and sadly now the, and you know, I like the smooth jazz thing. Don't get me wrong, but smooth jazz, the smooth jazz format was let's play some contemporary jazz, but let's sneak in a few pop vocals so that People who listen to pop radio will sneak in and, gra- and, and, and maybe latch on to our station, which I thought was very smart. But I yeah, just I like I more of what WJZZ was doing, which was pretty much all instrumental contemporary jazz. I mean, they throw some Anita Baker in there, that kind of thing. But I really liked that format. I was really sad to see that station go. Yeah, it really was. And, and you know what? They made it out like it was a dying you know, business, but it's not a dying yeah. business. It's no. just that, you know, it's an art and it's it's, it's a, a type of art that you have to have the ear and taste for. I mean, you they got the younger well, generation, you know, yeah. that don't understand. It was the numbers the game. Part yeah. of it. They don't understand that. It was the numbers you know, game. So, it was the numbers it was the numbers game. Trust me. It was all about yeah. when we when oh, we yeah. got released from Atlantic, they they put so much money into rap because they could give a rapper back then, you know, a hundred thousand dollars do a, you know, with a drum machine, rap and make a mil, you know, and sell a million, two, three million, easily. Whereas they were struggling to sell a hundred thousand jazz records, so it only made sense for the investors to just move forward with something else and let the little small grassroots labels move on with the smooth jazz, which is what a lot of the guys who, like I said, Gerald Albright and these guys, they went off to smaller labels. You know, like Heads Up International, and there's a couple other, you know, big grassroots labels that that picked up major, you know, uh, Marion Meadows. All those guys got picked up by smaller labels, but that w- it was up. It was all about numbers, sadly. But yeah. that's just the way mu- music evolves, though. It's just you know, because kids will listen to certain things, and now they're, they're then they're off to the next. It's just like the Flintstones episode when he was. You know, he was playing a guitar. Listen to him rock. Listen That's to right. him roll. He was he was yeah. hot for about five weeks, <laughs> and then after that, nobody showed right. up. But that's how yeah. music. You know, that's what, But even Miles Davis, Miles yeah. was playing all the jazz stuff. But then he's like, okay, nobody listens to this stuff anymore. Okay, let me do a Michael Jackson right. song. And he ended up doing um, Human Nature. And then everybody yep. like, who now, is Miles Davis? Like, what? Who is Miles Davis? Miles Davis been out for fifty years, right? But nobody right. knew him until he started playing the Michael Jackson stuff. So now, well, this guy music evolved. Well, I I like to uh, do one thing. I like to give a shout out to uh, Julie Sabuvida, um because um, she is kind of like in the background a lot um, as an assistant. So um, she chimes in every once in a while. But um, getting back to um, the music. Now, I told this story before, and I don't know if you heard this or not, but they changed everything back in 89, the, uh, mm-hmm. the music company and music record company did. They had a meeting with all the A&R people from all over the world to meet at this mansion. 
Um, and there was a guy that nobody knew who it was. So the A&Rs and all the big people that are part of the um, record labels were there. And there was a guy that was there with, that had a gun on him. And what the story was is that they were transitioning over to rap and buying into prisons, private prisons where they can get stocks and stuff like that. And they were going to mm-hmm. promote um, violence, alcohol, and drugs. Now, that was back in 89. And now you see the transition of that as you start seeing mm-hmm. how it's going because it's more money for them to take and invest into to, to this type of music and have these artists going out living these lives that they don't even live in the regular world, in the real world. And this is what is disturbing to me throughout the years. And this what made me really think about things that are more important for our, our youth coming up is to learn how to, to be a musician. And, and I think they're coming back around to the, playing the music, but I want to see more positivity going on in the world with our kids mm-hmm. coming up because mm-hmm. it's just too out cold now. It's too out cold. So I like to have independent artists that we can have and mold them into something that's going to be great down the road. And jazz, right. R&B are all a factor in that. So And pop mm-hmm. also. So um, anybody got any questions they want to ask Tim? I, I do, Billy. I have a question. Okay. Uh, Tim, um, I would like you to get us to The Untouchables and The Bertie's Berry Show. Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so, so I I moved to, I left Lansing in, uh, like, around January of 92. Um, my wife and I got married that year. So I moved to Chicago where she was. We ended up getting married in uh, St. Lucia. Uh, this woman saw me at uh, the, the – um, New York uh, Black Expo. So that's how I got booked on in. It was a, the inaugural St. Lucia Jazz Festival with um, Wynton Marsalis and uh, uh, Phyllis Hyman and some other artists. So when I was in Chicago, um, another club meeting, just like w- with the lady from uh, Ebony, Ebony Magazine who hooked me up with Atlantic Records, I met Bertice Berry in this club, and she – you know, she said, "Hey, I'm just really blown away by me, by your music. Can you? Uh, I'm getting ready to do this talk show. You know, and you, know, you have to understand, you run into so many people who said they're doing this and doing that, and nothing ever comes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing yeah, ever yeah. comes to fruition. But mm-hmm. she actually had this show with Fox. She was signed to Fox. I remember. Yep. Yeah, and it was in ninety. 2% of the market across the country, her show. Now, this understand, this is back wow. when there were probably 25 talk shows on the air. Maury Povich, uh, Jenny Jones. I mean, every there was, there was a Donahue. ton of shows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Donahue was still on at that time. Yep. So yes, he she said, Tim, I want you to do my um, – I want you to do the theme song for my show. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Wow. So – so we took one of the back. songs. Oh man, we took one of the songs from the album, and we turned it into the Burst Bertie's Berry uh, theme song. And she actually has a nice voice, so we had it. We had a sing on the album. A really crazy story about that song. That theme song is that Fox took every single percentage of the publishing. 
They what? Every single. They didn't write a note. Okay, not a single note. That was all me. They Darren, took your intellectual one, property. They just took it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. They did. And they're like, look, if you don't like it, we'll we'll get another song. They just. Th- oh, that's wow. how. That's how the industry bullies people. So, yes. And we were, and, and understand, because this song was being played on television, the royalties were like triple what radio royalties were. So we yeah. were getting about, we were getting, well, because the song was actually split up between four guys, because there's another guy mm-hmm. in the studio. He wrote some, he didn't write. All he did was edit some bumpers, you know, five-second bumpers, ten-second bumpers from, you know, to go in and out mm-hmm. of the commercial. So right he edited those, and he felt like he had some ownership to the song. We were wow. like, "What? <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, that's you should crazy. get paid a flat fee for doing the for, for doing the edits from the right. from Fox, but that's it." So we ended up giving him like ten percent or whatever it was. Um, so there were four people involved, and Darren and I, we were actually picking up about five grand a quarter from that song, just only Ooh, like thirty-five wow. percent. Thirty-five percent, and uh, unfortunately, the show only lasted, I think, a year, year and a half, and it got canceled. But yeah, she's done. But but this lady, trust me, Bertice, her story is unbelievable. First of all, she was born and raised in Rhode Island. I'm sorry, Delaware, and. She got, I think she had six siblings, and she was told in high school that she was never going to, you know, get get to college and graduate, so on and so forth. Horrible, horrible upbringing. Teachers, her father wasn't there. So this white, this guy, um, this white man, he would he would sponsor black students every year, and he found her. He sent her to Jacksonville University down in Florida. Bertice was on the dean's list every semester. And wow! She graduated, yeah. She graduated. Yeah. He sent her to um, now, now. This guy owned like a hundred Hallmark stores across the country. So she had oh, wow. plenty of money. Yeah, and so he he graduated. She graduated, and she got her master's from Kent State. He paid for that, and then oh, wow. uh, she got her P, she, and she got her PhD. And she, Bertice does. She does show, I mean, uh, speaking games all across the country, uh, uh, excuse, excuse me, the world, and she's picking up fifteen, twenty thousand dollars wherever she goes. She's very well known in, in the, uh, you know, in the speaking engagement industry, and uh, she's got a nice book out about her story. Her father is actually um, uh, Otis Redding. Oh, so I got a chance whoa. to meet. Yeah, really? yeah. Okay. got a, yeah, got a chance to meet her her half brother. The, the the Reddings, you remember the group called the Reddings? It was, yeah, it yeah. was Otis's, yeah. uh, Otis's, I think two of yeah. Otis's kids, yeah. So right. Bertice introduced me to them at her apartment in Chicago, and I was talking to Otis Jr. about, we were talking about taxes and stuff, and that was a very interesting story. But, yeah, she, man, just, just an incredible story. The Untouchables came about being in Chicago, some another person saw me at this club. They said, "Hey, we need some background actors," and got hired, and had to join the union to pick up our money. And I ended up being in uh, three episodes. So um, yeah, yeah. Remember, I asked uh, you how how nice was William Forsythe. Remember, I asked you that a long time ago. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. 
William Forsythe was there, and also Cuba was in one of the episodes. Cuba Gooding. That's right. Yes, he was. Right. Yeah. Yep. That show was on. Uh, it was the it was the TV version of The Untouchables. And I think there's either two or three seasons, but we shot yeah, everything in Chicago, and we were. We were in. We were in. You know, we we have six o'clock call in the morning, and we wouldn't go on until like about four o'clock in the afternoon. So the musicians are sitting around playing an instrument sitting all day, <laughs> just sitting yeah. around in costume. It was an, and eating, of course, all this. <laughs> wow, it was fun. It was fun. Well, you know what, Tim? I will say this: that you are definitely a star in everybody's eyes, man. And I've seen it from day one. I see I've always day looked one. up to you, my brother, always. Three and, years different than you know I always look up to you. You, you know what? I, I noticed one thing about me is I can always detect a talent. A talent. <clears throat> Just like with uh, Ray, if it wasn't for his issues, Ray would have been on top of the world because he just oh, had that. Oh, 100%. Another one. Yeah, and then, yeah. then Jeffrey Valentine was another one, and he finally struck a little yeah. gold. He did a, a track for a beauty shop. Um, the oh, ice cream. yeah. Yeah, he got a track on there, but he passed on also, so rest in peace to him. Um, but it's just like I can spot him. When I see him, I can spot him, man, you know. And that's just been a gift mm-hmm. for me, you know, to know that somebody is going to be on their way. Because you look at a couple things. You look at how much dedication do they have to the craft, you know, when you right. see that, because I know some people have been playing sax for years, and uh, mm-hmm. and they just don't have it. And I know you know some mm-hmm. too, Tim. You know, they just oh, don't have yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But when you see somebody that just has that something, it it makes you say, you know what? I see something in this guy, and I'm willing to take and invest in this person, or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I've had my blessings along the way. Um, uh, TJ has been with me, Jay Price. They always, they were the first ones to, to back me and, and help me throughout my years in terms of the music business. And, and uh, the station in general, Tim, um, you know as well as I do, that they supported all of the local stuff that was going on, you know. Yeah. And that was a big break for us, you know, in, in essence of that. But, you know, it gets greater later, as they say, because I have a lot of projects on hand. And, uh, you know, we'll be sitting down talking about, as uh, all of us in general, uh, we'll get a chance to sit down and talk about these projects. But what we're doing with the station, it's going to be some amazing things coming. So everybody has to stay tuned on that. And on that note, we're going to do a commercial break. And then, Tim, we're going to come back. And follow up because this is just such a – I'm having such a good time, man, you know, to be able to really talk about these things that one could mm-hmm. only dream of back in those days, you know. So yeah. let's go to a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with Tim Cunningham. You're listening to CRS Radio, the knowledge station. This week's guest, singer-songwriter, producer, jazz extraordinaire, Mr. Tim Cunningham, also host of the Jazz Chat on Wednesdays. Right here on CRS Radio. We'll be right back. More music from Tim. More interviews coming up. Just grooving and Rob Groove. Stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this. The Caribbean Radio Show with Evie and the Chat Meal with Billion Friends proudly sponsors the Give Back to Jamaica Project. 
we give shoes to families in need throughout the country. We encourage our listeners to partner with the Give Back Jamaica Inc. Drive. We believe in whatever it takes to build a nation. It will improve a nation by giving. Send your monthly donations in any amount. Every penny counts. Or send your shoe donation in. Don't forget to tell Evie at CRS Radio that the chat reel sent you. Send your donation to www.givebackjamaica.org or email Evie at jamaica at gmail.com. That is jamaica at gmail.com.
And we are back. Um, Tim, are you there? I am here. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, I got something to run past you right quick here. Um, remember when we were um, in, um, what was it, Flint, at Bernard, Bernard Terry spot? Uh-huh. The studio, yeah. Sun. <laughs> remember mm-hmm. when we was coming back? Remember, remember Big Ben? Who was that? You remember that? Big Ben. Remember we kept on going around in circles, couldn't get out of there? It was me, <laughs> you, and Kenny White, and Ray. Yeah. We were talking about Big Ben. <laughs> yeah, we, we run around in we circles did. trying to get out of there. Well, we, well, we could have used a cell phone back then, couldn't we? Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. That was so hilarious. I was like trying to get us out of there. <laughs> Every time I see Kenny Kenny White, man, he's like, Big Ben. (laughs) But it's all all good. Very enjoyable, man. Very enjoyable. But, I, you know, I'm looking at it like, man, you play that sax, man, like it's just so easy, man. It it makes me feel like I just want to pick it up and try to blow the sax, and I'd be like that episode on uh, Seinfeld when, when, uh, uh, what's her name, Uh, Took and missed that sax player up. She was he was falling in love with her. <laughs> he couldn't play. Oh yeah, Elaine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Elaine missed him up. <laughs> he couldn't play. That'd be me trying to blow the horn, you know. But yeah, amazing, amazing, you know. So um, I want to let everybody know we're back with uh, Tim Tim um, uh, Cunningham uh, with CRS Radio, the Chat Reel with Billy and Friends, the Knowledge Station. Um, if we have lines open, any callers out there, please feel free to ring the bell, and we'll re- we'll let you in. Anybody yeah, out there? We will ring the bell and let you in. But they are they being so far, are they uh, being shy? Yeah, so far <laughs> maybe we they're being shy. shy. <laughs> I think no they're enjoying the jazz. <laughs> well, I know I, I know they're that they're enjoying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah. you know, once again, you know, with everybody and all the crew of uh, uh, CRS Radio, I-, I love you guys all for seeing the visions that we are producing and putting out. We want change, and we're going to take it step at a time to make it happen, and we're going to build as we grow, all going to do what we need to do to make a change in this this whole world because we are about that situation. So, um, Tim, as I uh, brought Tim on, Tim was probably one of the first, uh, TJ was probably the first one that I brought on, him and Denise. It's actually Denise first yeah. and then Tim. The good doctor, Denise started Gutierrez. building yes. there. Yes. Oh. He started building from there. <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just so much love um, with that situation because I, I remember, because uh, I would have had Jay Price too, uh, Tim, if he was still alive. Yes. I would have had him on, on air as well. Um, but these I'm two really are um, these two backed us, man, throughout the years um, in our careers, and they played an intricate role in mine for certain. So, um, mm-hmm. and then also you, Tim, did also as well. And uh, you know, I can't say enough about all the people that we were surrounded around. You know, with Kevin Wilson and and, and Bobby and Ray and and Kenny White, um, Josh Hicks. You know, all of us, you know, you, all of us, really, man, really part of this magic. You know, part of this magic, man. You know, I know, no matter how you look at it. 
And I am so happy for you, and I can hope to continuously build your career uh, more so, you know, because the sky is beyond the limits for all of us. Oh, yeah. You know, there's no stopping, man. There's no no stopping point. It's where you want to be. You know, I've been a much more better person throughout my years, probably after transplant. I was always a good person, but I think, you know, I finally got my head on straight and uh, opportunities started coming. And uh, I've got so much stuff in my head, man. It's just like things that I want to do and see happen. And you have played a, a very, very intricate role with everybody. And I appreciate everything you've done in terms of helping us out when we need help. Because um, sometimes this gets a little rough on Denise and Tim and some of the rest of the group. So I appreciate that. And I try not to lean on you too much, you know, because I know you have things going on, but I appreciate everything you can, that you do. Oh, absolutely. So, yes. So um, anybody have any questions for Tim? I'd like okay. to know one thing. How do songs come to you? Are you asleep at night? You get up and you start writing down stuff, or what's your inspiration? What inspires you to write songs, Tim? You know what, man? It comes to me like early morning. It seems to be. I mean, that's come to me in, uh, at other times, but it seems to me they come to me like real early in the morning, like when I'm getting ready to wake up. I can kind of hear a tune or something. I'm like like trying to speak it into my phone so I don't forget it or running down to my basement to record at least mm-hmm. like some drums in the bass line and, and, and trying to, you know, uh, uh, trying to sing the melody to myself or something like that. But yeah, um, that tune enough said, um, I wrote that kind of like in, in a panic because I was, you know, I've been writing this album for like four years, four and a half years. You know, I chose to, you know, spend the time with my kids and my wife, which is really, which, which slowed down my career. I, I didn't want to be on the road trying to raise kids and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I was able to get a couple albums out over the last 10 years, but I had not recorded an album in a very long time. So um, the Enough Said tune was like the last tune I would produce, and I wrote it all by myself. And uh, in one day, and I came up with the drum track. I came up with the melody. I mean, the whole thing. I played the chords and everything. And funny, you know, I'm working with Al Turner. Um, played on four of the tracks uh, on my CD. Well, now five, I should say. He played on four of the tracks. I Al is... Um, a writer-producer himself. He has his own projects out. Um, he's been on the road with many artists. Um, he's very good friends with Anita Baker. Being from Detroit and being a bass player, he's been around for a long time. And He's actually Kim's music director, toured with Earl oh, okay. Clue, Earl Clue, and uh, just a phenomenal guy, Christian guy. And he played on my Atlantic Records CD. He played a couple tunes on the album. Um, so we recently hooked up again. Um, I saw him a year and a half ago here in town with Kim. So we got tickets and went backstage, got a chance to talk to him. And he was, I think, the, I forgot who they were, he was touring with. It was Kim and somebody else. 
And then last year, he said, you know, they were coming to, uh, I saw that Kim was coming with Babyface. And I called him up. I said, hey, man, are you coming to town? He said, no, I'm not doing the tour this year. He said, I've actually got enough studio work. I said, wow. So, you know, I told him I was trying to get my album out. And he said, um, he said, you leave me on your CD. I said, man, I can't afford you, man. So he's like, look, man, just send me a track, man, and, you know, I'll do a track for you for, like, 500 bucks. So I'm like, okay, cool. So <laughs> I sent him four different tracks. I sent him four tracks to, to select, you know, say, hey, just, you know, pick a, pick a track. It's like, look, man, I'm going to look you up. I'm going to play on all four tracks. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> man, yeah, this guy good. is one of the baddest bass players you will ever hear, and a producer. He's writing tunes for Will Downing. I mean, he is incredible. So he picked, he um, he listened to it and uh, said, he's like, Tim, I love that hook, man. I just love that hook. So mm-hmm. he took the song. He did some additional production to it. We put some live drums on it because I didn't even have time to put drums on in the, in the first mix. So I right. had my buddy uh, uh, Buster and uh, Kevin <laughs> Zee do some drums for me, and we just put this thing together, man. It's going to be the first single coming out next month. Jason Goroff Marketing is going to be doing the radio promotion for me. So, uh, yeah, so that's, 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 um, but, yeah, my inspiration, back to your question, comes, it it normally comes in the morning. And, and and TJ, it's not necessarily just jazz stuff. I get pop stuff in my head. I even hear some rap stuff sometimes. It's just really mm-hmm. strange how stuff comes to me. So I'm trying to get my son right now. He used to do a little rap stuff when he was in high school, but now he's a social media kid, and he oh, has okay. over 5 million followers on TikTok. So um, I'm trying to get him to do a, just to do a, hey, let's just do a little rap thing. You don't have to do a whole lot. I, I mainly want right, to get right. a cook, a nice drum track, and, hey, man, just sell this to you. I mean, you can get one percent of your followers to buy that buy that single. That's fifty thousand people. <laughs> sure. Right. So do both you know kids. So do so. both of your children. Do both of your children play music, and does your wife play music? So I have three kids. My oldest is twenty three. He's the social media guy. Um, okay. And my second oldest. Uh, he was a drummer. He was a good drummer, but he stopped playing. He just said, Dad, I don't want to do anymore. I was like, okay. Uh, but he had the natural gift. I mean, he sat down to drums. He's like six or seven years old, and he was just playing this nice little pocket. I even got a little video of him. And uh, mm-hmm. but he, just, he was taking lessons, and he said, nah, I don't want to do it. I said, okay. And my daughter, she she, she messed around with the guitar a little bit. Um, but no, she's, she's and, and played piano. She, she's in a piano class, but and then my wife, she's actually singing. My wife sang a bunch of background stuff on my other other stuff, but she's singing a lead song on this album. Um, and she's also singing background vocals on two others. So, That's yeah, awesome. she's got a lot of things. She's from Detroit. She, my wife is from Detroit. She grew up in Southfield. She was born in Detroit and grew up in Southfield, Michigan. Okay, okay. Now, yep. um, let, let me have you do this, Tim. Can you go ahead and announce how they can get your material again? Absolutely. Go to com and click on the hearsay. I'm sorry. Click on the um, 
HearNow.com link that you'll see on the first page, and it will take you to it's just a little site where you can download. You can actually listen. Um, I put the full versions of the clips on there so people can listen to the entire song. But you will see some links on the left side on that page uh, to Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Pandora, Deezer, um, so you can go download the stuff. Um, and also, like I said, you can also get a, a physical CD uh, at Amazon Music, I mean, Amazon.com. Yeah. Okay. And can, All right. And you can reach you can reach me. Um, I got a phone number on my website that you can reach me, and there's also booktimcunningham at gmail dot com is is the uh, you want to just you know if you want to book a show or if you just want to if you got some questions or whatever about what I'm doing or some people asking questions about hey what kind of saxophones do you play what kind of reeds do you use so on and so forth so. Okay, well, I think what we're going to do here, we're going to play a track as we get ready to get out of here. Um, if somebody's got something quick they want to say, um, now's the time to do it. Um, we've got about 10 minutes, so let's go in and, and come out so we are out on time. All right, back well, up. <clears throat> Tim, I just want to say thanks for coming on and thanks for joining CRS Radio. I mean, your music is incredible. Um, you know, it's obvious that you're incredibly gifted, um, and, you know, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, you know, earlier do, you touched on, you had, uh, you said one of your brothers was a drummer. Which one? Yeah. Because you got a few. <laughs> yeah, I got four huh? brothers. Like people, a lot of people don't yeah. even know my older brother, um, but yeah, Freddie. Jesse Jr., right? Freddie was always a... Jesse Jr. Freddie and Jesse is number three. I have a, my oldest brother is James. Uh, then Freddie is my second oldest brother. He's the root doctor, right. the singer around town. Yep. And then Jesse Jr. is our third oldest, and he he was the drummer. He played drums and trombone at Sexton back in the late '60s, mm-hmm. and he had, ended up going oh, okay. to the Air Force after he got out of college, after he got out of high school. Uh-oh. Yep. Yeah, yeah. See, I remember, but see, I remember your sister Vanessa because getting a little personal here, she helped babysit me and my brother. <laughs> oh yeah, Vanessa and Orly. Yeah, yeah. Or and Or Or has been out in. Uh, she's been in Sacramento since 1981. <laughs> yeah. Forty forty one years she's been out there. And I've been down here, man. People don't know that I've been down here almost 29 years. You moved from wow. Chicago down there, right? Right. Yeah, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. I didn't uh, even know that, Jim. Really? Well, I knew you were in St. Louis. I just didn't know because I've been here about as long as I've been here in Lansing. I've been here a little over thirty. So yeah, you've been out there for a while. So yeah, yeah twenty nine years. It'll be twenty nine years in October. Yeah, we moved down here. I followed Lonnie Young okay. down here. My buddy, I played football with. Um, at Michigan yes. State. I remember Lonnie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, He's we got to uh, get out yeah, of here. Go oh, ahead. yeah. Let's just, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, he is the uh, general manager of the Pittsburgh Maulers right now. Yes, he is. Oh, yes, yes, my friend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got one last thing to say. Tim, yeah. Big Ben. 
<laughs> Big Ben. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll never we're, get allowed to be with the cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Have a good night, everybody. And we appreciate All you right. guys. All our listeners, we love you. And we'll see you next week at the same time, same station. We can be heard on Amazon. We also can be heard on YouTube. And Tim Tim Cunningham, once again, amazing, amazing talent. You got to buy buy his stuff. You got to see him live. All right. Anything you got to announce that you're going to come up with, Tim, uh, far as concert wise? Yeah, May thirteenth, I'll be at the LaBelle Coeur venue in St. Charles, Missouri, with the Q's, my fraternity, Omega Psi Phi. Mother's Day event, uh, one o'clock doors, two to five show. What's the ticket prices? Seventy-five dollars a person, and that includes a full meal and an open bar. Okay, announce that one more time before we go. So <laughs> May thirteenth, Rhythm and Cues, LaBelle Coeur venue in St. Charles, Missouri. Seventy-five dollars. That includes food, a full meal, and open bar, and the concert will be from 2 to 5 p.m. Doors open at 1 o'clock, food at 1.30. TimCunningham.com for tickets. Beautiful. Okay, and we are out of here. We love everybody, and that's what we do. So, chat real, we out of here. All right, gang, let's so go. Why don't, we, why don't we close with one of Tim's selections, like, into the night? Of course. Of course. All right. Let's write it down. Okay. Well, here All we right. go. This is Tim Cunningham into the night. On the